<laughs> Good. I feel like I'm home, actually. Just been on vacation for a little while. <laughs> oh, me. Well, this morning I'm going to not, not preach from the readings, which is kind of rare, but uh, it's funny, over the last few months, and I don't get on there all the time, but I'm part of a, um, a website, it's an apologetics website, it's called Acts, I think Acts of the Church or something, but anyway, and it's um, basically a Protestant apologetics thing. So being a tad sacramental, I, I kind of stand out <laughs> a little bit. But it was funny, and one a person posted on there the other day, says, if Jesus instituted the Eucharist, or the Lord's Supper, before his crucifixion, how could it be his body and blood? If he hadn't died yet, I mean, it's a fair question. How can it be his body and his blood? And, uh, and of course, you cannot believe some of the answers that, that we get on there. Of course, they think all my answers are crazy, if not demonic. <laughs> Sometimes so I get called a lot of names. But anyway, uh, but also I want to use this one as an encouragement also. But you need to know the reason for your hope when you're out in the world too. And so if you look here, if you want to turn in Scripture with me today, in Revelations the 13th chapter, verse 8, says, uh, All who dwell on the earth will worship him, whose names have not been written into the book of life of the Lamb, slain from the foundation of the world. And let's go on over to First uh, Peter, just a little bit to your left. Chapter 1. Verses 18. Knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct you received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ is the Lamb who without blemish and without spot he indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifested in these last times for you, who through him believe in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory to your faith. So what we're saying here and what they're showing us, and, we, and really even in our world, sacramental world, we never talk about the fact We've talked about it in seminary, and occasionally you may have heard us mention things. That heaven doesn't deal with time and space. That's part of the fall, really. Adam and Eve wasn't supposed to deal with time and space either. But, but we do hear, and so we think in terms of the things that we experience every day. We know it's so many days till Christmas. We count them off. We, we have to be at a place at a certain time. Beth and I were married June 22nd, 60 months ago. So when I look back at it, we celebrate our anniversary. We don't bring that, that wedding day every week. We don't go back to Fairhope every year and redo it or do it again. And so if you can, you can look at that, you can kind of understand what he's saying. It makes sense. If, if he didn't die till two or three days after he did the Eucharist, was he in a position to offer his blood that hasn't been offered 
on his altar, which was a cross yet. But yet we see here that because it doesn't deal in time and space, we say things, crazy things in seminary and in the world where we say Christ was crucified, Christ is being crucified, Christ will be crucified. That it's one thing, it's just the Red Sea was split, the Red Sea splitting, the Red Sea shall be split. I was saved, I am being saved, and I shall be saved. That, that there's this ongoing process and when we talk about doing it, the Eucharist in remembrance of me, the word is anamnesis, where you go back and you do reflect back on a past event, but the past event has never stopped. He was crucified. He's being crucified. He shall be crucified. He offered his blood. He is offering his blood. He's going to be offering his blood. He's offering his body. He's going to, he is offering his body. He's going to offer So it's one going event. We never, ever, as accused often, re-crucify Jesus. We represent the one existing crucifixion that has started before he even said, Light be. It was done in heaven. It was manifested a little over 2,000 years ago. So that's how we can comfortably say that Jesus presented his body and blood. Second thing I saw here says, If the Catholic Church teaches that the Eucharistic wine is the literal blood of Christ, then how is it not violating the Old Testament law against drinking of blood of the flesh of an animal? And we'll look at Leviticus 17.14. Uh, it says here, Leviticus 17... Verse 14. Uh, it says, For the life of all flesh is in the blood. Therefore I said to the children, You shall not eat the blood of any flesh, for the life of all flesh is its blood, and whoever eats it shall be utterly destroyed. And so you, you see here that the, what we call it, if you had been taught something your whole life, you could see something that would be a little upsetting about saying, drink my blood. They're going like, I'm leaving. <laughs> so, and he says, but, but, but Jesus, he said, what does he call? He says in John 14, 6, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father by me. You don't want to drink the blood or the life of anything that you've killed. You don't want that to be, you don't want to be assimilated or assimilated into your being. So you avoid it. But then since Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes unto me, and no one comes to the Father except through me, and then we look back over here in John uh, 6.54. And Jesus says, Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal, what? Eternal life. And I shall raise him up on the last day, for my flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. And he who eats my flesh and drinks my blood literally abides in me, and I am him. 
and as the living Father has sent me, I live because of the Father, so he who feeds on me will live because of me. And I am the bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers ate manna and are dead. He who eats this bread will live forever. So Wes, what he said, he said, he, the dynamics have changed. You want to eat, you want to eat my life into you. And then we talked about this in seminary too, that actually we, we are what we eat. And as true as that is in terms of day-to-day -day nourishment, and maybe even spiritually the same thing when we, when we eat the body of Christ, that, that those elements we eat are, but more so than that, we're assimilated into Christ. He called it, we become, we know him and we become one with him through the eating of his body and the drinking of his blood. And it's, a, and it's what uh, one of our early fathers called the meal of immortality. He says, if we, he says, in the other side of the coin, he says, if you do not eat my body and drink my blood, you have no part in me. Now that's where I have a part, hard time where evangelicals say that they are solo scripture, scripture only, faith only. We don't even get a second reference, even if we don't know what it's saying. We don't even refer to another book or writings of an early father or somebody who's like best friends with Jesus if it's not in the Bible. So I'm going like, well, this is in the Bible and it's pretty clear, except the fact is they try to write it off by saying it was just a representation. All right. Now, the third thing that came up, he says, well, it's a metaphor. And there's this tired thing they'll say. Well, if Jesus is the way, is he a road? If Jesus is the door, is he just a wooden plank with a doorknob on it? Probably made of brass. If Jesus is, is Jesus really a vine? And we're some little branch branched off of this vine. He said, it's a metaphor. And so what I'm saying here is a metaphor. He said, how do you explain that this isn't a metaphor? Why would you think it's a metaphor? He meant to be a metaphor. It is. And, and so, and here's the one example, rather than him saying it, it wasn't a metaphor, you, you hear what he says and it looks how he responds. And even um, a little further down here it says, Listen to this. This is going to be several verses, but just a little further down in that sixth chapter, verse 60, he says, After he said, Eat my body, drink my blood, and you'll have eternal life. And he did this in a town called Capernaum. Therefore, many of his disciples, when they heard this, said, This is a hard saying. Who can stand it? Or is that comedian, what's her name? Land? I ain't doing it. That's what they're saying. <laughs> and, so, and when Jesus knew in himself, and living, you realize he's living life as a son of man. So when you hear him say he had, had heard, heard something within himself, it's the same thing that we hear when we say, I think I've got a word for you, or it's a word of knowledge. The Holy Spirit revealed to him what the thoughts of other people around him. So when Jesus knew in himself that his disciples complained about this, he said to them, does this offend you? What then would you, should you see, what if you see the Son of Man ascending and descending where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life, the flesh profits nothing. The words I speak to you are spirit and they are life, but there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were 
and who did not believe him and who would betray him. And he said, therefore I, he, therefore I have said to you that no one can come to me unless it is granted to, to him by my Father. And from that time forward, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. And Jesus said to the twelve, do you want to go away too? Are you going with them? And Simon Peter answered and said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Did you notice here? Now here's my proof that it wasn't a metaphor. If we had built up Church of the Redeemer up to the booming number of, say, 25. And Father preaches one Sunday and he says something along this line. And you just start seeing part of your 25 heading for that door. Or you see them picking up souvenirs because they're not coming back or something. <laughs> he would probably say, what did I say to offend you? And let me clarify. What do you think I said? You know, like Beth and I do, I said, what do you think I just said? I mean, I know what words I said, but what did you hear? <laughs> and, and then we, we've learned to laugh at ourselves because a lot of times what I say and what you hear is totally different things. Well, Jesus didn't worry about clarifications. He let them walk. He knew what he said. They knew what he said. And by him not saying anything, he was verifying that they knew what he said. But he didn't say, hey, guys, come back. Whoa, whoa, wait, 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 wait. I meant what I said. Let me clarify this just a little. He didn't. He let them go. If you can't handle this, it was a hard thing. If you're raised a Jew and you did study Leviticus when you were a child in your whole life, it's a hard thing to say. But there's a new dynamic. You know? I mean, he, he, he healed people on Sundays. There's all kinds of things that were changing. The kingdom had arrived through Jesus. And so that's, that was my proof. When some, they ask about this, these are questions that come through on on that, on that website, and that's what I explained to him. I said, you know it was the truth when he didn't ask them to stop walking when they were ready to leave. I mean, he was not a person that didn't care. But they weren't, they weren't willing, to, willing to commit to this hard word. All right, so if, now the next thing that, was, that came up on one of the, this little thread of information or questioning, said, if the consecrated bread and wine are Jesus' body, and just really sarcastic, will we be chewing skin and crunching bone? How can bread or wine be flesh and blood at the same time be bread and wine? It's impossible. And I did not get this illustration. I got this from our former patriarch, Bishop Adler. But I did, being from Alabama, I did stated in a way that it was in Alabama. If I was talking to somebody from Alabama, I would have not used a specific name. And I, and I told one of them, he says, it can't, you know, it, it does, he said, you guys are saying that this turns to real flesh, real blood, literally. I said, no. I said, it was blood and it was wine, but it's also bread. I mean, it is blood it is his flesh, it is his blood, but it's also in the species of bread and wine. And he said, 
I, that just can't happen. I said, oh, really? Well, let's say this. Let's say, David, you, you were challenging me. And I said, well, David, let me ask you this. I said, you're, you're familiar with Birmingham, Alabama. You're familiar with the Jimmy Hell Mission. And you're familiar that they let a lot of indigents stay there at night. If they obey their rules, do what they're supposed to do, they can get something to eat, get a bread to sleep on. Well, let's say one of these men, before they even meet Brother Leo, who has since passed away, but we'll still use Brother Leo as the person that this person is going to meet. He's under one of the viaducts in Birmingham. And they pick him up and say, look, I tell you what we do. We want to do some tests on you, but we'll give you 25 or $50. You know, sort of like selling your blood. We'll give you, we'll give you a, a fee for doing this. We're not just going to pick you up. He, and he goes, I'll do it. You take him to the Caraway Hospital, which I think may have closed down, but it was just a few blocks away from the Jimmy Hill Mission. And he, he urinates in a bottle. They take blood from him, and they strap probes to him. Within an hour or two, they've got a full file on who this man is physically. Chemical makeup, everything. This is you. I don't know if you saw that movie, uh, Goodwill Hunting, right toward the end when Robin Williams held that file says, this is not your fault. But this was the life of the part that Matt Damon played. This is not your fault. Well, they had a file with this guy's name on it. Well, then he's leaving the hospital. He's heading back and, and to his uh, place. He was spending the night under the viaduct, and he runs into Brother Leo for the first time. And Brother Leo introduces himself and says, would you really like a, a true change in your life? Like I said, I'm listening. And he explains... Jesus' death for him, his love for him, and that he could have the very life of Christ in him if he would just ask him. And he invites Christ into his heart. And the Holy Spirit comes in. And you could even see it in his countenance. It changes. And they say, well, here's the deal. You're now a born-again believer. you got a long way to go, but we want to do one thing if we give you another $25 or $50, it sounds crazy. Would you go back to the hospital and let us do the test again? We need to see if anything's changed. So he goes to the hospital. TT's in a bottle, gives his blood, puts probes on his chest, do electrocardiograms, checks his heart. A couple hours later, come back, and the files are absolutely identical. This is who you are. And nothing's changed about you. He says, but something has changed about me. I'm not the same person. And you say, that's correct. But you are the same person. But I'm not the same person. That's correct too. But I'm not the same person. But you are the same person. But I'm not the same person. But you see what I'm saying? And I said, I said if this were you, and the guy I was talking to, I said, if this were you, chemically, physically, Whatever recipe God used to make you up, it's still you. But you know, you, you're not a, a fixed, as Bishop says, you're not a fixed or repaired creature in Christ. You're a brand new creature in Christ. You are a new person. But you're still the same person. But you're definitely a new person. But you're the same. I said, are you getting it? And I said, if it's that easy for God to turn a human being and make him into a new creature, I said, how hard would bread, bread and wine be for him? 
by the simple fact the same Holy Spirit comes on it and makes it. I said, the, and for and for no other reason, if you hadn't tried, got just absolutely convinced, you got to explain everything in the world. Jesus said it was. While one hundred percent man, he was still one hundred percent God. And if he said, "This is my body," that he only said what the Father wanted to say, I'd pretty much take it as fact as his body. This is my blood. I'd take that as a fact too. I'm not real big on calling God a liar. Or trying to figure out. And so these are things that that we need to know when you're out with people. But always speak the truth in love. Don't be ugly. Listen to this. But you do need more than just scripture. Sometimes scripture can't explain scripture. When Paul says is not the cup we're blessing it's not the cup of blessing that we bless is it not participation in the blood of Christ but you don't think it's fair to go find out what a Seder meal is or what the Passover the formula for doing a Passover dinner is and the schedule of events of a Passover dinner because it's not in scripture so therefore that doesn't mean anything to you and when they say, well, we don't see the word Seder meal in there, so we don't know if we can buy it. You go like, I mean, there's the hard one. Because they know in their heart that you just told them something is true. But they don't want to, it's too, it's too prideful to say, well, I think I, I may have missed something in it. Yes, there's enough thing, enough scripture for life, godliness, instruction, correction. All that's true. It's true as it is. But it's not the final word on everything that ever happened. So many times I say, well, why don't you go back and read the writings of the early fathers? We only read scripture. No, I didn't call him anything. But anyway, I wanted to. And so that, that's, that is such a hard battle for them to fight. Where we're open, you think, I said, well, if you don't know the culture, if you don't know what a Seder meal is, if you don't know that there were two cups leading up to that, then when it's finished, you're going to say, well, it's just, he's just paid for all our sins, which he certainly did at the cross. But the fourth cup is the cup of, of, of redemption and salvation, a.k.a. consummation, the cup of consummation. And during that, that, during that day, he said, when he got to the third cup, he drank from the cup of blessing. He said, I will not drink any more from the fruit of the vine until I enter my kingdom. So, and, they, and from what I've read and studied from other things outside scripture, that during that Seder meal, you, you sing psalms from like Psalm 113 to Psalm 119, and that's called the Hallel. And the, the Psalm 118 is about our redemption, our victory in Christ. And so they leave, and he, and he goes to Gethsemane. Not long after, he prays and asks the Father if this chalice can be removed from him. Judas and the, the uh, I guess it was the court, uh, the, 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 anyway, the, the, it could be, it was Romans, but also I think it was also the, the, like the police or the enforcement officers for the Jewish people to, they come and get Jesus. They whip him, they beat him, they strip him, they embarrass him. And he's in terrible pain. And, and, and readily available for him, if he'll take it, is wine mixed with gall. 
gall is an anesthesia. It can lessen the pain. And as good Protestants, and we all started there as good Protestants, and Protestants are good, we assume immediately Jesus is just sucking it up and not take, and staying away from the, the pain reliever, the, bear, the buffering aspirin, the morphine, or whatever they was going to give him, so he could take the full impact of our sin into his body and really, really, really fully pay for our sins to wipe them away. When in fact, Jesus was only doing one thing, keeping his promise. He would drink from the, of the fruit of the vine until he's entering his kingdom. And as he gets right toward the end of his kingdom and he's hanging on the cross, you'll read about it. We look and he says, I thirst. As Bishop Jones explained, what he's thirsting is he accomplished the cross thousands of years before it happened for the chance to see if you wanted to come back home. I love you. I will die for you. I'm not going to make you come home, but I surely want you. I thirst for you. I agonize. I physically feel pain and something missing in me because you're not here. The natural thing is they think he's asking for a drink now. And they put the, the sponge on the hyssop. And this time, Jesus takes it. And then he cries out. And then he releases his spirit and goes to his father. Or goes to paradise. Went somewhere. Went somewhere. He died. And what happened there... That's, and then there was a, th a rumbling and an earthquake and a rending of the, 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 the curtain around the Holy of Holies that tore from the top so you'd know it wasn't man-made to the floor. And now we have free access to our God. Satan is in deep trouble. And he knows it. Because what he didn't know 2,000 years ago when Christ gave his life, his blood, I mean not 2,000 years, thousands of years before in heaven, it was hid from Satan. It was revealed at Calvary at the same time. We got it, he got it, and he knew, the, he felt the full impact of it. And what that fourth, when he drank that thing, that was the fourth cup, the cup of consummation, the cup of redemption. He drinks his fourth cup as he's entering his kingdom, just like he promised. And guess what? That ended the final Passover meal and completed the first Eucharistic service. It is his body. It is his blood. So what, as I sum this up, what does this mean to us then? And I'm going to read this because I... In summary, according to Revelations, Jesus shed his blood before the time of creation. Satan didn't even know it. And once we understood the truth, once we understood the truth, it should have great implications. That we understood the truth that this event should have great imp implications on our faith and our victorious living over Satan, sin, and sickness. We should get it. We should know, we should have faith that what he did there set us free from all that. 
Peter said that we have been redeemed from our empty way of life by the blood of Jesus shed before the foundation of the world. And this shedding of blood, now this is interesting, the shedding of blood was kind of like taking out an insurance policy before he created mankind. It paid for all the damages and claims that were going to come against the kingdom because of our sin. He prepaid it where the debt was paid before he said light be, not when he was just on the cross. Jesus' death on the cross was not an afterthought, but an insurance policy put into effect before we created. And the payment for our effect, our sin, was settled in advance. So I wanted you, yes, to be able to talk about your faith, to talk about our table to people. Because it's really important. There's things that we just finally have to stop, but... It was important. I mean, how do you reconcile it being a metaphor or a picture or a representation of something when Paul says people are coming to thing and they're not rightly discerning the body and blood of Christ as being the body and blood of Christ. And some are sick and some are even dying. That doesn't sound like a metaphor or a representative piece of bread to me. It sounds like it must be something pretty powerful and pretty important. And so those are the things we need to know, not to win an argument, but to give life. We were talking before church started. I said, you know, they're Christians, we're Christians. But years ago, uh, I was up on business in Chicago, and I went to a place called the Red Bud Italian Restaurant, where Tony Bennett, Frank Sinatra, Peter Lawford, people like that, great people. And the food was so good and so deep and so rich that I knew I had in. It was Italian food, it was Italian restaurant, but it was another dimension where I had not been before. And that's the sadness of not being sacramental. You're Christian if you're a Protestant. But when you don't believe any of this and, you, and you're living your life that I don't see that word or that sentence or that direction directly in the Bible, I'm not eating it. I'm not buying it. I'm not eating it. I'm not having I'm not, it. It's not a fact until it's in this book. And be so proud that when people explain how something, you could be the same person, you could be born again, and still very fleshly the same person, but you're not the same person. And you know they get it. But the number one sin, if, was it that Seven Story Mountain that Thomas Merton wrote about? And one of the easiest sins to get over there was your sexual sins. And the, the, and the, but the one that burdened you down the most was pride. Well, that's it. We don't, we don't want to win an argument. We want, you to be, we want you to go to the Red Bud restaurant with us. Leave the, right, the, the uh, what is it, the uh, Italian, the Chef Boyardee or whatever. Leave that Italian food on the shelf. Come eat this richness. It's the same thing, but it's only better. It's deeper. It's richer. It's got more meaning to it. That's why we want to have our faith. It's a love thing. And you find out, just like Jesus, sometimes people will talk to you in really not very pretty words if you don't agree with them. And they will call you names. 
And I was laughing. One guy said the other day to me, he says, Were you papist? And I said, Were you Democrat? I said, See what happens? I said, you, I bet you didn't know you were a liberal Democrat. I said, But you see what you just did? When you didn't have a comeback, you started calling names. <laughs> he, he wrote back and finished with, You had to know that was a joke. I went, and I, Yeah, right. <laughs> But anyway, but this this is this is good news, and I just figured that I was so involved with this this week that that was what God had on my heart for today, and um, it's helped me. And I, th I think there's a, we could go even deeper. Maybe the next time I come, we, we might go a little deeper along this same topic. Not that we don't already understand the table, but sometimes I think because we do it so often that we forget the power and the strength and the promises of this covenant we had. That our sins, sickness, disease, and brokenness was just like a horrible spiritual car wreck and the insurance adjusters come up and said, oh, it was paid for before you had to wreck. When do you want your new life back? He said, matter of fact, here's if you'll sign right here and confess that you sinned, we'll call it even right now if, if that's good with you. Well, that's where we are. Lord Jesus, I just did this. I'm so broken hearted. I'm so sad. Father, I did this. I did that. Well, I want you to know as a representative for Jesus Christ and the kingdom of God that your claim has been settled. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.